let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise you today, Lord. Lord, it's because of your love for us that we're able to come here today and gather as your church, your, your body, in one place and worship you and magnify your name. And so, Father, I pray today that you would unite us as one church under Jesus Christ, our Lord. Unify us, meld us together, Lord, so that we may honor you and serve you here in Bastrop and throughout the world in whatever way you would have us to serve you, Lord. Lord, today at this time in our service, Lord, we open your word. And Lord, we come wanting to hear a word from you, hear you speak to us and teach us, O Lord. So Lord, open our hearts to hear and our eyes to see. Let us see Jesus. Let us see your plan for this church. Let us see you, O Lord. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Today we are looking at just two verses, verses 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 this morning as we continue our our study in 1 Corinthians. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, you can go visit what's called the Western Wall. The Western Wall is a site on the old temple complex there in Jerusalem. The temple is not there anymore. The, the Western Wall is just a, a small piece of, what's, of the remains of the old temple complex that used to be there. And the western wall is part of the old foundation, really, of the old temple complex. Now, if you go to there today, you will notice that three times a day, a large number of Jews will come out and they will pray at the western wall. That's why uh, some English speakers have kind of named it the Wailing Wall. Because Jews will go there, especially the Orthodox Jews, will go there three times a day and they will pray and in their prayer, they would lament the destruction of the temple, which took place in AD 70, and pray for the rebuilding of the temple. They long for the rebuilding of that old temple. Now, when we think about why, why is it important for them to have that temple? Well, that's the place where they, they worshipped. That's the key place, the central place that Jews worshipped. They have synagogues where they get together and they read scripture and they do all of those things. They worship in, in, in that way. But the temple, it was the heart of their worship. The temple was where the presence of God was to dwell among, amongst his people. When they first built the tabernacle and then and they moved in the, the mercy seat, it was God's presence that rested between the, the, the wings of the cherubim on the mercy seat. And, and when the temple was built, it was the same thing. God's presence dwelt there amongst his people in the temple. And without a temple, there's no place for the presence of God to dwell among his people. So they long for the temple to be rebuilt so that God's 
glory, God's Spirit can return and dwell among His people again. Well, you know, church, for us, we don't need the temple to be rebuilt. In fact, what Scripture tells us is that the temple has been rebuilt. But the temple is no longer this man-made structure. The temple of God is His church. You are the temple of God, as we will see in today's text. You are the temple of God, and God's Spirit dwells in you. So from our lesson today, or from our text today, we will learn just that, that the church is God's temple. The church is God's temple constructed by God's Spirit. The church is God's temple constructed by God's Spirit. And today we're going to see three roles of the Holy Spirit in constructing a unified and holy church. We're going to see three roles of the Holy Spirit in constructing a unified, that's key, a unified and holy church. And so I hope that today as we we look at this text that our unity in our bond in Christ, our unity in the church would grow as well as our holiness. That we would grow in unity and holiness together. Now, let me remind you a little bit here about where we are. Paul here in 1 Corinthians, especially the first part of 1 Corinthians, he is addressing this issue of factionalism. He's addressing factionalism. So, so there's separation in the church. There's divisions in the church. And it's become a serious issue. As Paul left and he's gone to plant other churches, he's heard back that they're, they're in all of these arguments. And there's those who say, what? I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Apollos. Others say, I follow Cephas. And so they're breaking off into these different factions, and, and it's causing division in the church. And so the church is not united in Christ. They're divided. And so this is a serious issue that Paul needs to address, and so he is addressing it here in the first part of 1 Corinthians. Now, last week we looked at that, we we looked at this proposition, take care how you build God's, take care how you build your eternal home. And we looked at that passage just before that, verses 10 through 15, where he said, take care how you construct it, take care how you build whether you build with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw. And now Paul continues that whole metaphor of building, and he even even kind of builds upon it even more here, as he begins to show us that the building that we are actually building is the temple of God. It is the temple of God. So if you found your place there, and though it's a short verse, I'm still going to ask you to stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word, and may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated.
Well, as we look, begin to look at how the Holy Spirit, the roles of the Holy Spirit uh, takes in the church to build unity and holiness in the church, the first thing that we notice here is that the Holy Spirit indwells the church. The Holy Spirit indwells the church. At verse 16, do you not know? Like, wake up, guys, right? Do you not know this? This is a rhetorical question, expecting a positive answer. Uh, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Uh, there's no need anymore for that temple back in Jerusalem. Now, at this time, the temple was still standing, but, but Paul is saying there's no need to go back to that temple because you are the temple. You are God's temple, church, and God's Spirit dwells in you. Now, the word that Paul uses here for temple is the, the Greek word uh, naos. Now, I'm pointing that out because that's a, not a common word used in the New Testament. That's not the usual word that writers of the New Testament use for the temple in the New Testament. Nahas is very uh, seldom used. The, the most popular term is the, the term hieron. Hieron. Now, hieron refers to the complete temple, uh, the whole temple complex. So when you, you look at old pictures of the temple complex and, and you see, you know, kind of the layout of the whole temple complex, you have the temple they're kind of in the center, and that's that big building. And, and only the priests were allowed to go in the temple, and the temple was where God's presence dwelt among his people. And then outside of that, you had the court of men. And so only the Jewish men were able to go into that outside court right, right around the temple. But then outside of that was the, the court of women. And women and children, Jewish women and children could go into that court of women. And then outside of that was another court, and that was called the court of Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile and, and you had, you know, you wanted to, uh, maybe you were a worshiper of God, or you just want to kind of uh, learn more about the Jewish religion, you were able to go into that court of Gentiles. And so Hiron is used for that whole temple complex, and that whole temple complex was considered to be a holy place. But Paul uses that term, naos. And naos re refers to the temple itself. The holy of holy places. Where only the priests were allowed to go. Where the presence of God dwelt in the midst of his people. And Paul is saying, you are naas, you are the naas, you are the temple, not the complex where all the common people dwell. You are the temple, the very building, the very structure where God's presence dwells among his people. You are that temple. And so we see here that the church is the temple of God uh, individually, that the Holy Spirit indwells individual believers the holy spirit indwells individual believers right each person here if you're a part of the church if you're a believer in jesus christ the holy spirit indwells you notice the promise of the holy spirit that jesus gave back in john chapter 14 verses 16 and 17 and i will ask the father and he will give you another helper Another one besides me, because I'm going away. 
to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. That was pre-resurrection, right? Pre-death, pre-resurrection. He dwells with you and will be in you. So before the resurrection, before the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit dwelt with believers. He dwelt with the believers. He dwelt with the Old Testament saints. He dwelt with the disciples before the day of Pentecost. He was with them as a guide, as a presence around them. But Jesus says, but he will be in you, inside you, residing in you. God's Spirit dwelt in the temple. Now God's Spirit's going to dwell in you. Boy, this had to have been just mind-blowing to the disciples when Jesus said this. That God's Spirit would be in them? But that's the way it is. God's Spirit dwells in us. He resides in us. He he comes into us and, and begins to remake us in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 I know we're going to get there eventually as we go through the study, but I just want to point this out briefly. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7 says, Now there are a variety of gifts, talking about spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given, notice that, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given. To each member is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Each giver is given uh, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He's working in you. He he provides you uh, spiritual gifts so that you can use for the common good, he said there in, in 1 Corinthians 12. For the common good, for the use inside the church. So that I benefit from it and other people benefit from your spiritual gift. So the Holy Spirit dwells in individual believers. He indwells you, dear Christian. But also notice this, the Holy Spirit indwells the corporate church. He indwells the corporate church. It's the church that is the temple. The church is in what is it being emphasized here by Paul. Now, we don't recognize this so much in the English, but, but when you look at the Greek here, when Paul talking about this, do you not know that you are God's temple? He is using the plural pronoun, you. Here in the South, we say, don't y'all know that the Holy Spirit dwells, indwells y'all? He resides in y'all, right? You all, it's all of those in the church. And so the Holy Spirit indwells the church, the body of Christ. I'm going to turn back there to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again. Skipping down just a little bit to verse 12. For just as the body is one, that's the human body, your, your body, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, that is, we all have hands, we all have feet, we all have ears, right, many members, So we all have, the body has many members, but are all one in one body. And he says there, so it is with Christ. That is the body of Christ, the church. 
For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all are made to drink of one spirit. So the Holy Spirit indwells individual believers, but he indwells them to unite us together as a church. So that the church is the temple of God. Where the presence of God is pleased to dwell. It's the church. And so, yes, I don't want to, we're not kind of, we're not downplaying the, 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 the importance of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the individual believer. I want to point that out. I want us to see that. But the point Paul is making here is, is that the Holy Spirit indwells not just to make you a super Christian, Right? He's not trying to make a super Christian. He's trying to make a super church. He's trying to bring the church together to unite the church to bring us, make us unified. We're to be unified by the Spirit. We're to be unified as a, a corporate body, as one body in Jesus Christ. You know, in the world, there are, are many different kinds of cultures. There are many kinds of cultures, but all the cultures in the world can be kind of uh, boiled down to, grouped into two major groups. There's the individualist, individualistic culture, and then there's the communal-type cultures. Now, an individualistic-type culture... It focuses on the individual, so be all that you can be, right? What matters is what you want in life. And so you've got to succeed, right? Everything's about you. It's about the individual. Now, where do you think America falls on that? America is a very individualistic culture. We thrive on the, the you, on the person. It's about individual success. And so everything that you read on the how-to books out there is all about how to make you better, make a better you. And so America really thrives on that individualistic type, type culture, that individualistic ideal. And we build up the individual. Now, the Bible is just, that individualistic culture is strange to the Bible. Right? The Bible doesn't know individualism. The Bible was written in the midst of a communal culture. A communal culture is about the community. And it's all about making the community a better place. It's about the, the welfare of the community as a whole. And the individual is just part of the whole. And so you see a lot of societies in our culture, out around us in our culture today, that are very communal. Uh, Hispanics typically ha tend to be more communal in their culture. But we especially see that in Scripture. Israel is a communal culture. It's about the community. It was about the, the nation. We've got to work to make the nation a powerful place. We've got to work to make the nation a good place. They were very communal. And so the individual was, was only, you know, it was only good for the individual to succeed for the betterment of the community. But the emphasis is always on the community. And that's the, that's the culture of Scripture. That's the culture of Scripture. And let me tell you, friends, that's the culture that Christ intended for the church. 
Christ intends for his church to be a communal culture. It's not about you, individual. It's not about you, or you, or you, or you, or you. It's about the church. It's about the community of believers. As, as Americans, we tend towards an individualistic Christianity. That's why you see people shopping around for the best church. Like, what church is going to fit my needs? But that's not the church of Scripture. That's not where we should be. That's not where we should be. It should be, what do I do for the betterment? What can I do for the betterment of my church? For the whole body in Christ. We see this very same thing throughout Scripture, but uh, in the beginning part of Acts, Acts chapter 4, in the, you know, the first church, the, the infant kind of church there, Acts chapter 4, verse 32 says, Now the full member of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that anything of... Excuse me. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They had everything in common. They, they sold off land. They did all of these things. They brought it all together, and they just supported one another and loved one another. They had all things in common. Now, that's not the same pattern we see throughout the rest of the, the, the book of Acts. And so I'm not saying we need to go sell off everything that we own and throw it all in one bank account and let's just take care of one. No, that's not what I'm saying. Throughout the rest of the, the book of Acts, you see kind of a different kind of pattern. But this same idea of having things in common, of looking out for one another, caring for one another, loving one another, building one another up, that's throughout the book of Acts. And throughout all the rest of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells the church to bring about unity within the church. So, dear Christian, it's not just about you. You are important. You are loved by God. And He loved you and saved you as an individual. But He indwells you to bring you into the body he gifts you to bring you into the body for the common good of the body to build up the church. So, dear friend, we've got to worry more about the church than we do our individual lives. The Holy Spirit indwells the church for the unifying of the church. The Holy Spirit indwells the church in order to unify the church. And second, the, role, the second role of the Holy Spirit in constructing a unified and holy church is the Holy Spirit punishes, the Holy Spirit punishes vandals. The Holy Spirit punishes vandals. Look at the next sentence in our two verses there. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. That is a serious warning, isn't it? Now, the word destroy here is the word that means to corrupt, to destroy, or to ruin. So it has this connotation of, of corrupting the church, destroying the church. Certainly, Scripture teaches that, that one day, 
God will judge those outsiders, those pagans outside the church who want to destroy the church. Revelation chapter 6 tells us that the voices of the, mort- of the, the martyrs or the souls of the martyrs are underneath the altar in heaven crying out to God, How long, O Lord, before you judge those who, who did this to us, who killed us? He said, just a little while longer until the full number of you come in. So there is a day that's coming that God will judge those who are outside the church, who are enemies of the church and want to destroy the church. But I don't think that's what Paul has in view here, right? According to the context, that's not what he is talking about here. He's not talking about those outside the church. He is talking about those within the church. Because it was those who were within the church who were causing these divisions within the church. And so he's talking about Christians. Christians who are destroying and corrupting the church from within. And so we need to see that, that God, he he punishes the vandals, those who vandalize his church. So we see here, let me just point out a couple of points here. First of all, God disciplines disunity. He disciplines disunity. That's the point here. These, are, these people are causing div- division within the church. And he's saying, if you destroy God's temple, if you break up God's temple through division, God will destroy you. This is a warning to those who are causing those divisions. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, let's flip over a little bit there. Paul addresses this again. Chapter 11, verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So they were recognizing those who were genuine. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So, in other words, what was going on is they were getting together and they were supposed to be observing the Lord's Supper. There were those who, uh, who were more wealthy in the bunch and they were sitting over here on this side of the, the room and they were just having a blast, right? They were having a party. Throw it out and let's just uh, gorge ourselves on the food and let's get drunk and all of this type of activity going on. And then over here on the other side of the room were those who couldn't afford they were the workers, and they'd been out working all day, and, and they just barely had enough money to, to go back home and feed their family with, and they were going hungry, and there was this division, this dividing of the church between the social economic groups of the church. He said, am I going to commend you in this? No, I'm not going to commend you in this. You're doing wrong. And then look what he says, going, skipping down, verse 27, verse 23 through 26 kind of gives the... Uh, what he commands about the Lord's Supper, but verse 27, look what he says. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of Jesus. So if you eat 
this bread, if you partake of the Lord's Supper with this disunifying heart, with this factionalism going on, let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Notice this, notice this. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. You've been causing this disunity in the church. You've been celebrating it. And now some of you are weak some of you are ill, and some of you have died because of God's judgment upon the church, the disunity in the church. God destroys those who destroy his temple. God destroys. Let me, that's a serious warning. Now, I'm not saying that every sickness that you have ever had is part of God's judgment. That's not true. We know that we get sick, we, ha- we suffer illness and those types, and death in this life, this broken life, that's a part of this life. But in some cases, it is God's judgment. And in this case, in 1 Corinthians, it is God's judgment upon them because they were dividing the church. God will destroy you, dear friend, if you want to cause disunity in the church, if you want to stir up fractionalism, if you want to stir up disunity and and strife within the church, God will punish you. He will punish you. He disciplines disunity, but he also disciplines immorality. He disciplines immorality. And we're going to get into this later on in the book of 1 Corinthians. But Paul addresses, that's the next issue he's going to address in 1 Corinthians, is the issue of immorality that is going on in the church. But for now, let me take you to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which, of, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good." Notice this, that we may share his holiness. He disciplines us so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God disciplines immorality. He disciplines us for our sin because he wants to... He wants us to get rid of that sin. He wants to get that out of our lives. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be purified in His sight. And so He disciplines us out of love for us, for our immoralities, for our sins. Because He's more concerned about our holiness than He is anything else. So God, through the Holy Spirit, disciplines us disunity and he disciplines immorality 
let me tell you, friend, if you are if you are one of those who like to stir up trouble, cause disunity, cause division in the church, or if you are a person who has unrepented sin in your life, you're living in unrepentant sin. We all sin every day. I sin, I've sinned probably 20 times a day. I don't know, um, I haven't been counting, but you know, we all sin every day. That's just part of being trapped in this sinful body, but if you are living in unrepentant sin, you sin, you know your sin, and you just, you don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. If you're living in unrepentant sin, then you might as well take a can of spray paint and graffiti the walls of this sanctuary. It would be less serious. That would be less serious than you staining the walls, vandalizing the walls of God's spiritual church by your sin and your disunity. God punishes vandals, those who vandalize his church. So the Holy Spirit indwells the church. He punishes vandals. And here we see why he punishes the vandals, because he, he punished the vandals because the Holy Spirit sanctifies the church. He sanctifies the church. Notice our last little sentence there in our verse, our text. For, because, right? God destroys those who destroy his temple because God's temple is holy. And you are that temple, church. God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, what does it mean that the church is holy? That word holy means to set apart, separated out. They're sanctified. They're set apart from the rest of the world. The church is set apart from the rest of the world. Yes, church, we are not to blend into the world. We're to be different. When we walk out and outside these doors, people should look at us and say, man, there's something different about those folks. They're not like everyone else in Bastrop. They're not like everyone else in the world. They're different because we are set apart. We are sanctified by God's Holy Spirit to be set apart, to be different from the world around us. The church has been set apart, number one, from sin. We've been set apart from sin, no longer to sin in the body. The power of sin has no power over us anymore. We were once enslaved to sin, but God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, has set us free from that bondage. Why do we always want to run back to the, to the, to the chains? Why do we want to keep running back and putting ourselves back into bondage to slavery? You've been set free. Let go of your sin. And by the power of God, overcome your sin. Dear friend, the church has been set apart from sin, but the church has also been set apart to serve God. The church has been set apart to serve God. It just reminds me of of the Egyptian, or excuse me, the Israelites when they were in Egypt. What did, Pharaoh, what did Moses say to Pharaoh? Let my people go so that they may serve me. 
that they may serve me. That's why God brought the people of Israel out of bondage to Egypt and brought them to the land of promise so that they may serve him and worship him and have a relationship with him. Oh, church, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. We have been taken into the land of promise to serve God. We are the temple of God where where true worship takes place and we're to serve him together as one body in Christ Jesus. We serve God. I'm also reminded of King David and the anointing of King David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I won't turn there, but 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see Samuel the prophet going out to anoint a new king over Israel, God's king. And he goes through all of the sons of the sons of Jesse. And he takes each one, he thinks, oh, the first one, oh, man, he's a good, tall man, good-looking, strong-looking fella. He said, oh, this must be the one. And God said, nope, nope, it's not him. Oh, it must be the second one. Oh, nope, nope, not him. And he goes all the way down through all the sons who are there, and he said, nope, nope, none of these. And so Samuel asked Jesse, Jesse, is this all of your boys? Is there any others? He said, well, you know, this is all of them, except, well, there's the, the runt of the litter. The baby boy, he, he's out in the, in the fields keeping the flocks. Samuel says, well, go get him. Go get him and bring him here. And when David comes in, he said he was ruddy and handsome. And God's Spirit said, that's the one. That's my servant. And Samuel anointed him with oil. And the Holy Spirit anointed him with the Spirit. The Spirit came upon him. This was God's chosen man to serve him as king over Israel. That very same thing has happened to each and every believer who has trusted in Jesus Christ. You've not not been anointed with oil. You've been anointed with the Holy Spirit. The oil was just a visionary thing to to show, to represent what was taking place spiritually. The spiritual thing has happened. You have been anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit to be separated from sin, be separated to serve God with your life. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, you were an individual, a lost individual, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Oh, dear friend, dear church, the Holy Spirit sanctifies the church. He has set us apart from the rest of the world to be the light of Jesus Christ in this world of darkness. Paul's message in these two little verses here is quite simple. His message to the church is this, church, become what you are. Become what you are. You are the temple of God. Live like the temple of God. Be the temple of God. Be the place of holiness in this lost and dying world. The church is God's temple constructed by the Holy Spirit. 
Do not be that person who stirs up strife and discord within the church. Rather, be an agent of unity in the church, doing everything for the benefit of the body of Christ. Do not allow your sin to stain the church. Rather, strive for purity, working with the Holy Spirit in the process of sanctification. Now today, if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, you don't know the power of the Holy Spirit because you've never surrendered to Christ in faith. So I want you to know that you can have the power of the Holy Spirit. He can live in you and work in you, and you can become a part of the temple of God if you only trust in Jesus. Jesus came and he lived and died for you so that you might be forgiven of your sin, so that you might come before God and enter into his presence. If you'll only believe. Will you believe today? Oh, Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you that today we don't, we don't need a temple to go to. We don't need to go to a, a building made with human hands. Lord, as we leave this sanctuary and we go next week to, to worship in the Family Life Center, it's no big deal. This building is nothing special. It's just a building to, to keep us out of the weather. But we, the church, the people, are your temple. And your spirit, your spirit dwells in us. And your spirit is with us wherever we go. And Lord, your spirit, your Holy Spirit is working in us to, to unify us as one body and to sanctify us, to make us a holy body to be a light of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world. Oh, Lord, help us to be what we are. We need your power, Lord, to become what we are. Help us to be what we are, the temple of God. And, Lord, I do pray, surely there is someone here today who's never trusted in Jesus. They've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit because they've never trusted in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes today. Let them receive the Spirit as they trust in Jesus and give their life to Him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.